Welcome to the Faith Talk podcast. We're excited you are listening today. Prepare to be challenged and inspired through today's episode. We pray that every fear is dispelled and your faith is increased as you hear the word of God. Now, let's listen in with our host, Caleb Schaefer. I want to talk to you for a few minutes uh, about the early church. We've come through Passover and the whole season where Jesus was crucified, buried, resurrected, and uh, now we've come through Pentecost, and Pentecost was uh, widely considered to be the birthday of the church. It was the day that the Holy Spirit fell, it was the day that people were filled with the Holy Ghost that began to speak in other tongues, and they were endued with power. It was the day where Peter preached his first sermon, and I just want us to kind of take a look at the early church to see what they were doing at the time and maybe kind of compare that to what we're doing now and say, are we lining up with how they acted? Are we we doing the things that they did? Uh, Because it sure seems like we're entering into the times where uh, it's very similar to what they were dealing with back then. And you'll see what I mean in just a little bit. Thank you very much. So uh, if you have your Bible tonight or if you have your phone app or whatever you're going to use, a tablet, will you turn with me to Acts chapter 1, and we're going to start, we're just going to look at verse 14, we'll skip down through uh, some other verses in Acts as well. But I want to, uh, I want to take a focus here, and just, you see the topics that we're going to discuss here tonight, you see the things that we're going to go down over on this paper, and so I want us to just look at this uh, scripturally, what was taking place What did the early church look like? What was it that they did? Um, So Acts 1.14 is going to be a key scripture for unity. Do you know that the church, the early church, went forth in unity? The early church went forth in unity. Unity was so important to the early church because they had to stick together. And we've gotten to a point in the United States of America, I think, where We've become so divided in the church. We divide ourselves based on uh, doctrine. We divide ourselves based on silly things, um, you know, and and we've kind of separated ourselves from one another. But God never intended for the bride's arm to be separate from the hand, and he never intended for the bride's leg to be separated from the knee. He wanted the whole body of Christ to work together and, and... God intended for us to walk in unity. He intended us for us to walk in unity. So Acts chapter 1 and verse 14 says this. They, these all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. And uh, so we see here before the day of Pentecost even came, they were all in one accord. They were all in unity. They were all together. They stuck together. And in this day and age, I believe that we've got to stick together. The body of Christ, the Tri-State Ministry Center, we've got to stick together. We've got to have one another's back. We've got to, uh, instead of coming against one another, we've got to work together. And we've got to realize that there's a real enemy that's coming against the body of Christ. There's a real enemy trying to infiltrate the army of God, and he's trying to rip us apart. Because if he can rip us apart, he can divide and conquer And so in this day and age, we've got to have unity. They were all going in one direction. 
says they all continued with one accord in prayer and supplication. That's going to be a theme that you're going to see as we go through this, this Bible study this evening. Prayer is going to be a key theme as we go through this as well. Acts chapter 2 verse 1. We all know this scripture. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all together in one place in one accord. They were all together in one place in one accord. You can be all together in one place, in one physical location, and be in completely separate locations in the spirit, completely separate locations in your mind, completely separate locations. We've all come into this place this evening, and you have all gone through three days of work, three days of, of living your life since we were last together. So we're all in different places. And every time we come together, we've got to get into one accord. We've got to get into one place spiritually. We've got to get into one place mentally. We've got to get our focus back. And that's one of the reasons for worship in the beginning of service is to get us all focused in the same direction, to get our eyes on the cross, to get our eyes on the Lord, to focus our attention in one spot so that we're not all scattered. And that's when, when Pentecost happened, when the day of Pentecost happened, that's what the Bible tells us. They were all in one, play, one place, in one accord, and the Holy Spirit fell. The Holy Spirit fell. Did it take them the 10 days since they had gotten there to get in one accord? It may have. It may have taken the full 10 days for everybody, you know, somebody's worried about their fishing boat, somebody's worried about uh, their tax collecting job, somebody's worried about their doctor job, somebody's worried if their aunt's okay. You know, they're, they're all in one place and they're in one accord in 10 days. And it may have taken that full 10 days to get in one accord, who knows? But we know that the Bible says that that's what happened. And then Acts 2, 44 through 45, says something similar as well. It says, all who believed were together and had all things in common. They sold their property and goods and distributed them to all according to their need. And according and continuing with daily mind in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. So, we, can, we see them continuing on in unity, in one accord, continuing on breaking bread together, having fellowship together, just like we're doing here tonight. It, you know, part of the reason that we do this is for the fellowship. We need fellowship as believers. You need connection with other believers. You need to know that you belong to a group of believers. And I, I, I see people and hear people all the time, well, I don't really have to go to church to be saved well, you don't have to go to church to be saved, but it's a whole lot easier. It's a whole lot easier if you know that you've got a group of believers who are pulling for you and you're accountable to them. And if you miss a week, they're saying what's going on. If, you, if they don't see you for a little while, they're checking in on you, different things like that. So uh, it's so important that we come together for things like this. The Bible says, forsake not the assembling of the brethren, right? And even... More so as you see the day approaching, as we see the time coming when, when we're believing that Jesus is going to come back. And I don't know about you, if you can't see it, if you can't see it, someone said that eggs could go up to $12 a dozen by the fall. Gas, yeah, gas is up over $5 a gallon in some places. 
Bible tells us that when we get towards the end, it's going to cost a day's wages for a loaf of bread. Hello, we're getting there. We're getting there. So as we see the day approaching, we've got to come together all the more. We've got to be a part of each other's lives all the more. We've got to check in on each other all the more. We've got to make sure that we're having fellowship with the believers all the more because you need that support system. You need that support system. We really do. And we've got to be in unity. We can't be fighting in amongst ourselves. We can't be, be mad at somebody because they didn't look at us quite right. All those kinds of things. We've got to be in unity. We've got to focus. All right, I've got like 15 minutes, so I'm going to have to breeze through this. Holy Spirit-fueled ministry is number two. Acts 2.41 says this. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. 3,000 souls were added to them. Acts chapter 4 tells us something very similar. You know, we see thousands at one time being added to the body of Christ. God intended for his church to grow exponentially. He intended for his church to grow in large numbers at one time. He intended for the gospel to be spread to thousands. That means that I go tell somebody about Jesus. That person goes tell somebody about Jesus while I'm telling somebody else about Jesus. And then we go tell other people about Jesus. You see how it grows. God did not intend for us to get saved and just come to church every week and just be good Christians and sit on a pew. God intended for us to spread the gospel. And one of the things that Pentecost does for us is it gives us boldness to go and spread the gospel. Boldness to go and tell somebody about Jesus. That's what Pentecost will do for you. When you're filled with the Holy Ghost, you've got boldness down on the inside of you to tell other people, hey, listen, I know you're going through something right now, but I also know a man who can fix it and his name is Jesus and you need to know him. And so it's so important to realize that Holy Spirit fueled ministry takes place when, uh, when we're filled with the Holy Ghost and, and as we live like the early church. Now, gifts of the Spirit in operation. I'm gonna read down through a quick list of a lot of miracles that took place in the book of Acts. Acts chapter two, verse two, the sound of a rushing wind. Acts chapter two, verse three, tongues of fire. Acts chapter two, verse four, uh, tongues, other languages. Uh, a lame man was healed in Acts chapter three. A building was shaken in Acts 4.31. The sudden death of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter five. Imprisoned apostles were freed by an angel in Acts chapter five. Philip was transported from the desert in Acts chapter 8, light and voice at Saul's conversion in Acts chapter 9, Saul blinded and healed in Acts chapter 9, Dorcas was restored to life in Acts chapter 9. There are miracles after miracles listed in the book of Acts. And as you go through the whole New Testament, there are miracles that take place all over. Do you know that our lives are supposed to have miracles, signs, and wonders following? We're supposed to be carriers of revival and and because we are filled with the holy ghost we are supposed to have miracles signs and wonders following us around when you run into somebody that is sick you're supposed to be able to pray for them right there on the spot and see healing take place you're supposed to be able to be able to hear from the lord and get a word of wisdom or a word of knowledge 
based on someone's situation, what they're telling you, so that you can share with them what, what's going on and how they need the Lord and, and what they can do. We're supposed to be operating in the gifts of the Spirit. And that's one of the things I do believe that as the church of Jesus Christ, we need to seek more. The Bible says desire the gifts. Desire the gifts. If you don't know what the, the gifts of the Spirit are, there's a whole list of them. And you can look those up. Come to me, I'll share them with you. But we need to desire the gifts of the Spirit. We need to desire to have healing and operation in our lives. We need to desire to have prophecy and operation in our lives. We need to desire to have the gifts in our lives so that when we go around and tell people about Jesus, they believe. They believe. The proof that the disciples didn't just have a good story after Jesus resurrected was that they had miracles, signs, and wonders following them. Because they could have just gone around and said, Jesus raised from the dead and he ascended to the Father right in front of us. And everybody would have said, yeah, right. Good story. Nice, nice little fairy tale. But when they laid hands on someone and they were healed, when they walked past someone and the shadow of Peter healed someone, when they took handkerchiefs and aprons from Paul and they laid them on the demon-possessed and the demons left their bodies, that's how people knew, hey, this is, this is real. There's something to this. This Jesus is alive. He's not dead. He is alive. And what they're telling me is true. And so we're supposed to have miracles, signs, and wonders in operation in our lives so that we can show proof. Hey, listen, this Jesus is real. And we have the real thing. We got the real deal. You can go pray to Muhammad and he's not working a miracle in your life. You can go ask Buddha for a miracle and he's not going to work a miracle in your life. But when we say the name of Jesus and, and things start to change and cancer disappears and bodies get healed, then people know, hey, listen, this, this is the real thing. This is the real thing. We don't get this anywhere else. And so uh, we've, got to we've got to desire to have the gifts of the Spirit in operation in our lives. Number four, discipleship took place. Discipleship took place. Acts 2, 42. Acts 2, 42. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' teaching and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Fear came on every soul and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Discipleship needs to take place in the, in the, in the church of today just like it did in the early church. And one of the things that we're beginning, just in the very beginning phases of here, is new, uh, new beginnings classes for believers, people who just get saved or people who, uh, who are coming to the Lord, uh, back to the Lord, they've been away for a while. We're working on getting membership classes together and basic foundational doctrine that we need to know, that, that people need to know as believers because discipleship is one of the last things that Jesus said to his, to his disciples. He said, go into all the world, baptizing them, making disciples. We've got to make disciples. We can't just make pew sitters. We can't just make church attendees. We've got to make disciples. And that goes back to the exponential growth because if we have disciples who make other disciples, who make other disciples, you see how it's supposed to grow. You see how it's supposed to grow. And in this day and age where so many are falling away, so many are walking away, I can't tell you the amount of people 
that I've seen just throw their hands up and walk away. In this day and age, we've got to have disciples. We've got to have disciples. We've got to get from the milk to the meat. We've got to get from the basics to being able to go out and witness and share our faith and help disciple others. One of the greatest things you can do is to disciple someone in in the walk of faith, to disciple someone, to encourage someone, to be that person's point of contact, to mentor someone. And we need good, godly mentors in the body of Christ. If you've been in this thing for any length of time, you should be beginning to mentor other people as they walk with the Lord. You should be mentoring younger people as they come up, telling them how to walk, telling them how to, how to go forward. Someone asked me this week, will you, will you mentor my son and his friend in, in their walk? And I consider that one of the greatest honors in the body of Christ. You know, getting up and I can get up and sing and I can get up and preach and I can all those things and I've done it and it's all great and it's all wonderful. But one of the greatest honors for me is seeing someone come up through the, in their belief and seeing them get a hold of the principles of faith and seeing them walk with the Lord and get stronger in their faith and not turn back and go forward and reach others for Jesus. That's one of the greatest honors for me. And when you begin to do that, you'll see why. You'll see why it is such a great honor to begin to mentor someone. And you, it might be your grandkids, it might be your kids, it might just be somebody that you're close to that you can mentor and you can bring up. I know there are some people in this room who are doing an amazing job with that, uh, but we need to get everybody doing that in the body of Christ because this is one of the commandments. Discipleship is one of the commandments. Prayer was part of that discipleship. And I cannot emphasize enough prayer. I cannot emphasize enough prayer We've got to pray, church. We've got to hit our knees. These, you know, it's, it's good to say the blessing before a meal, and it's good to say, and now I lay me down to sleep prayer, but my goodness, we've got to begin to pray fervently. We've got to pray without ceasing. I catch myself going through Walmart praying in tongues all the time. You know, somebody said, somebody said you go through Walmart praying in tongues. I do. I go through, I go through Martin's praying in tongues all the time. It was a little easier when I had a mask because I thought, you know what, people are going to, people aren't going to think I'm as crazy, but I just go, go through praying because there's so much, so much that needs prayer. And we don't know how to pray for everything. I don't know how to pray for everything that needs prayer, but the Holy ghost knows exactly what needs to happen. And he prays through us. And so we've got to pray We've got to lock in and we've got to pray. We've got to set that time aside every single day to pray. And it says about eating together. I think we're doing a great job of that. I know here, especially at the Tri-State Ministry Center, I feel like we have food for everything and, uh, and we're breaking bread together pretty often. And that's a good thing. That's not a bad thing. That's a good thing to break bread together, to, to to sit and have fellowship with one another and see where each other are and see if there's anything we can pray for one another and, and just check in with one another. You know, growing up, that has been something that we've done in our family uh, every night since I've been, I can ever remember, is that we always have family dinner in the evening together. Always sit down around the table, check in with each other, see how each other are doing, see how each other's day went. And um, as we've gotten a little bit older and everybody's kind of 
gotten busy with jobs and things. It's, it's become a little less frequent. But growing up, that's something we did every single night, and we still do it as often as we can. And it's so important that we do that as a church family, check in with one another, see how each other are doing, and uh, have that one-on-one mentorship, that one-on-one discipleship where we share with one another, we encourage one another. Number five, urgency and living with the finish line in view. If there's ever been a time where we should live with the finish line in view, it is now. There's ever been a time where we should live with an urgency on our hearts to share other, share the gospel with others. It is now. Acts 2.17. Peter stands up and says, This is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days it shall be, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. So on the day of Pentecost... Peter stands up and says, this is the last days. These are the last days right now. They start here on the day of Pentecost. And 2,000 years later, here we are. We're 2,000 years closer to the return of Jesus than they were back then. And Peter was saying these are the last days back then, 2,000 years ago. So we're getting closer and closer. And we're seeing the convergence of all the signs. We're seeing the the Gog and Magog alliance lining up. We're seeing one world government line up. We're seeing one world currency line up. We're seeing uh, these, these just famines. And, and we're in a famine in the United States of America in a lot of ways. We're in a famine. There's a, there are shortages in all sorts of areas. But not just shortages of food and natural things. There are shortages of the word of God in the United States of America and preachers who will stand up and preach the real truth and not just sugarcoat things. Um, There are famines, there are pestilences, there are are all sorts of sicknesses going around. I mean, we're just coming off of coronavirus and now they're saying maybe another wave. Now they're saying monkeypox. We're alerted to, we're raised to a level two for monkeypox and they're saying you might have to break out the masks again for a dermatological issue, not an airborne respiratory issue, but I'll leave that alone. (laughs) Famine, pestilence, earthquakes in diverse places. We're seeing it all. We're seeing it all. Not only are we seeing it all, we're seeing it all at the same time. And that tells me we're gonna see Jesus very soon. We're gonna see Jesus very soon. But these people in the early church really believed that Jesus was coming back in their lifetime. They really believed that Jesus was coming back at any minute. And so they lived like that. We've got to tell everybody we possibly can that Jesus is coming back. We've got to get the word out. Jesus is on his way. We've got to let somebody know because Jesus is on his way back. And when he comes back, he's going to set up his kingdom. He's going to They were telling everybody that they possibly could, and they did not care what they did to them. They did not care what they did to them. They did not care. They said, throw me in prison. I don't care. Saw me in half. I don't care. Crucify me on a cross like you did to him. I don't care. The day of Pentecost emboldened these people to go forward with an urgency and they lived with the finish line in view. They said, you know what? If you kill us, we're already gonna go be with him. That's what we're doing this whole thing for anyway. 
We've got to get to a point, church, where we are not just, Christianity is not just something that we do, it's who we are. Christianity is not something that we do. We don't just go to church on Sunday. We are the church every single day of the week. And we've got a message to share with a lost and dying world who are going to hell. And we've got to let somebody know because it's urgent. It's urgent. I just heard that train go down the tracks outside. And if you saw somebody out there standing on the tracks that did not know that that train was coming, they had their headphones on and they were just walking down the tracks. What would you do to go out there and try to get them off the tracks? You'd jump, you'd wave, you'd run over and try to grab a hold of them and pull them off the tracks. That train coming is coming with the same urgency as Jesus coming back. And people are standing on the tracks and they are oblivious. They have no clue what's going on. We've got to go grab a hold of them. We've got to jump and wave and shout. And people will think we're crazy, absolutely. That's all right. That's all right. I would much rather have somebody that I care about beside me in heaven when I get there than to, than to worry about how I look down here. I would much rather, if I really truly care about somebody, I would much rather see them in heaven than to be up there and know that they're back down here going through what they're going through. We've got to get urgent. We've got to get... We've got to get a fire down on the inside of us. And number six, persecution. There are so many uh, examples of persecution. Acts 4.3, Peter and John were imprisoned. Acts 12, Peter was in prison and he escaped. Acts chapter 5, the apostles were arrested. Acts 23, 24, 25, Paul was, was arrested and taken all over the place. And so persecution came upon the early church and we're beginning to see that persecution come back on the church again. And I believe that that's one of the greatest signs that we are in the end times that Jesus is about to return. I believe that's one of the greatest signs because when persecution comes, it means that we've got to get serious about the faith. It's going to separate the sheep from the goats. It's going to see who's real and who's not. It's going to see who's in it for the right thing and who's not. And when persecution comes and when pressure's on, it's going to see who will hit their knees and who will be the church and go out and spread the gospel regardless of what they do to us, regardless if you say we're, we're preaching hate speech and you throw us in jail, regardless if you make it illegal to speak out against certain things, regardless if you, if you come and, and take our 501c3 status and we've got to pay taxes, big deal, regardless of what people say and what people do, we've got to be willing to endure persecution. But here's what's great. The, the early church lived most of their life in hiding. They lived most of their life in hiding. They were an underground church for the most part. They went around and shared the gospel and took care of each other any way they could. And it's really gonna upset some people whose ministries are just on TV and who are just uh, out there in the forefront of people if that happens because they're not going to know what to do but the real church is the church who hits her knees who goes and ministers to the people individually who need it who reaches out to people who is there for people the real church lives like the early church 
And even though persecution is there, they say, you know what? We believe in this thing so much that we don't care what you do to us. We believe in this thing so much. We know it's real. We don't care what, what you come and do to us. We're going to live it out until we die. And if you kill us, that's, that's just fine because we're going to go be with him anyway. Paul said, for me to live, <laughs> to live is Christ. For me to die is gain. He said, I don't care what you do to me. And, and that's how we've got to be. We've got to endure the pure persecution. But what's beautiful is when that persecution comes, just like it did in the days of the early church, the miracles, signs, and wonders just escalated. The miracles, signs, and wonders just escalated. The miracles that we see a lot of the time took place as someone was trying to run for their life from the government, as someone was running from persecution, Uh, Saul, when he was going, he was going to kill Christians. He was going to kill Christians when he got knocked off of his horse, so to speak, and, and God transformed his life. And so when that persecution comes, know that the miracles, signs, and wonders are going to escalate. And I believe that we're seeing the beginnings of that. The government is against the church. They're trying to silence churches. They're trying to uh, they're trying to shut things down. Wait till they ban the Bible and say that it's hate speech. It's coming. It's coming. Persecution's coming. But those who endure to the end, Jesus said, those who endure to the end shall be saved. And so the outside things are beginning to look like the early church. And my point tonight is, Let's make the inside things look like the early church. Let's fellowship all the more. Let's check in with one another all the more. Let's hit our knees and pray all the more. Let's seek God. Let's desire the gifts. Let's do all the things that the early church did so that we can look like the bride of Christ when he comes back. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Father God, I thank you tonight for this Bible study. I thank you tonight for this great evening that we could all come together. And Lord, I just pray right now that you would bless this study. Bless your word tonight, God, as it, as it simmers, God, in our hearts and as it stews in our minds, God. I pray that you would plant it down on the inside of us deep. And God, tonight, I pray that we would begin to look like the early church as the conditions on the outside begin to look like what it looked like in the days of the early church. I pray that on the inside, we would look like the early church. We would seek your face like never before. We would seek and desire your signs and wonders like never before as proof that what we have to say is true. And God, I pray that you would get glory from our lives, God, as we go forward in these last days. God, that we would see souls saved by the thousands. God, that we would see the miracles take place that we've been believing for. And God, that you would get all the glory from it. So God, we give you our lives tonight. We praise you. And we thank you for putting us in this day and age. We thank you, God, for putting us in this era, in this season, God, for trusting us enough to be alive during this time to go out and be your witnesses and ambassadors to the world. God, we love you so much tonight. We pray that you keep us and watch over us until we get back together again. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen and amen. Hallelujah. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Faith Talk Podcast. If you would like to connect with the host, you can do so on Facebook at Caleb Schaefer Ministry, on Instagram at Caleb underscore Schaefer, or by visiting www.calebschaefer.com.
Be sure to check out Caleb's worship albums on iTunes, Amazon Music and wherever digital music is sold or streamed. If you've been encouraged today, please share this podcast with your friends and loved ones. May God bless you and remember to tune in next week for another episode of the Faith Talk Podcast.